This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, January 11th of 2018, it's episode 124. In this episode, role-playing and mass combat, plus Bible stories as one-shot games, a call for questions from our Patreon supporters, Grant's poor choice of audio files, a happy Horvu, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And this is going to be an episode where we focus a little bit more on the topic and a lot less on the banter because we are <laughs> beat, all of us. I don't yeah. know what has happened. Oh, yeah. I know what's happened for me, yeah. but yeah. I was <laughs> sick last night. I was up for all but about two and a half hours of the night with a fever, Ooh. tossing and turning in a sweaty, miserable mess. Ooh. That's basically My, awful. Yeah, my very robust immune system seems to have killed whatever it was in the intervening time between last night and now, but I am tired. So uh, I yeah. hear that. For me, I, I know it's the weather. The weather here has been pretty awful. Yeah, we've had yeah. a batch of cold weather, but it's not been, you know, that really. It's My daughter's been sick, and that's kept us up because, mm. you know, sick kid. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. It's actually abnormally warm here. Uh, it's yeah, same 50 here. degrees today. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's positive six degrees Celsius. Everything's melting and now everything is going to be ice overnight. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to drop 30 degrees yesterday into today. And I believe it's supposed to get down into the single digits at some point in the next 48 hours. So yeah, in fairness, be fun. it got into the single digits for us last week down oh. here in South Carolina. Ooh. And that never happens. Uh-huh. So yeah, I know it was into the double digits negative last week up here overnight a few times. That's yeah. Did some fun. evening errand running and the car said minus 12. So that was Whee! cool. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know if my car has a minus. <laughs> like, I don't know. If it came- <laughs> I don't think those dash things are any different if you're in the south. Than- yeah. I-, I don't know. Maybe it's a southern model. We're like, no, we can save some space on the dashboard. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> May you never have to find out, I guess. Yeah. What's he going to do? Drive up there? He knows better. <laughs> anyway, let's keep our promise and move on here. I don't want to talk too much about Patreon. We've kind of talked about it a lot, especially since last episode was a Patreon-selected topic. But uh, a quick note, we could use some more Patreon backer questions. We have a backlog, but it's only from a couple of people. Yeah, specifically four. <laughs> yeah, if you have not sent a question in recently, please go ahead and do so. Remember, if you support us at any level at all, you can send in questions and you can send in questions about anything as long as it's safe for us to read on a clean podcast. You know, it doesn't have to be gaming related, doesn't have to be related to faith. If you want it to be great, if you want it to be favorite breakfast foods, that's fine, too. We answered a question about cars about six months ago or something like that. So yeah, things like yeah. that. I totally fine. And remember, you can send them in in bulk and we'll add them in and you can just kind of keep that backlog going. That's fine. So please go ahead and do that. That would be a huge help for us. Yep. Just to spread out the people that we are getting questions from. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to note real quick. Uh, we did finally resume our D&D game. Yes. Yay. Which was good. Yes, it was. Happy Horvu to all of you. (laughs) And if you're confused by that, go and read the last blog post on the website. Indeed. I will link that in the show notes. It's a it's a good one. And not just because it's got a little note from me at it. Peter wrote a really good blog post. But yeah, it was good to get back into it. We had a lot of stuff go on despite rolling dice once, I think, in the whole session. Yeah. Surprising amount of world building and, and this and that. So 
Yeah. Worked out well. But do check out that blog post. If you're not aware, Peter does post a blog post on our blog, stgcast.org, every week between episodes and every once in a while throws in an, an extra one. So if you're not subscribed to that or keeping an eye on that, you should. Peter writes some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the stuff that I've been writing lately has been a setting design report. And yeah, it's on the off Tuesdays between our, our audio episodes. There's a blog post there every week. Yeah, check that out. It's It's really good writing. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's do roll up our Patreon question here. Uh, Oh, this is a fun one. This is from Richard Lorenz, who is one of those people who sends in a large batch of questions. (laughs) Which Bible story would you like to see as a one shot? And if we have time to answer this, player or GM and what system? Oh, boy. I'm just going through all the VeggieTales ones that I can think of off the top of my head right now. (laughs) Because those are the only ones I can think of visually. It's it's one of those weird things. No, I, I understand that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually think the story of David would be a really good, like, drama system style game. I don't know that I'd mm. want to run it, but I think I would like to play that. Like, that, that whole tense situation between David, Saul, and Jonathan. Yeah. That struggle to kind of work out what kingship means in Israel and what is a good king, who has the approval of the Lord, who, you know, what what does it what does it mean when God says, all right, y'all have a king, you get what you get. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to pick him, but (laughs) it's not always going to go great for you. That whole story in first Samuel, I think, would be really interesting. Mm hmm. I think I've got to go, actually, with one that isn't a veggie tale, at least not to the best of my knowledge, but pretty much any one of Paul's escapes from people who want to hurt him very badly. Like, Mm. I'm a big fan of heist of one-shots, and I think any one of the ones where it's basically Paul escaping, like that one where he had to escape in the laundry, it's like such a classic trope in prison break movies and it goes so far back. We have historical record of people escaping in laundry baskets all the way back to year 34. So like, yeah, yeah, I would love to run or play in something like that either. I'd be fine with either. That's a good one. So the one that that immediately sprang to my mind, I don't know how you would actually get to work at the gaming table, so I might have to go with my second choice. But the the, the first choice that I had was the story where Jesus takes his apostles across the river and, like, frees the guy who's wandering around in the cemetery that's demon-possessed. Yeah. But I have no idea how you would actually play that out at the gaming table. Hmm. So for my second choice, I think I'm going to have to go back and do a nod to our first biblical figures episode and go with the story of Joseph. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much stuff that goes on there. And I, I feel like there's so much interesting texture that could be filled in around the key events of that story, like yeah. other interactions while he was in prison, other interactions while he was in Potiphar's house, other interactions while he was, you know, the chief administrator of Egypt. I just, I feel like there's so much room to breathe in that, that that would probably work better in a gaming context. As far as um, system, I think you'd have to use fate. I think (laughs) Joseph has some very clear aspects. I think a lot of his brothers do too. And I think the way that fate compels those and plays off of them would work perfectly. Yeah. Okay. I have no clue what what system I'd want mine in. I have no clue what I'd do that in. (laughs) It's it's a tricky one, certainly. It's obviously (laughs) got to be pretty rules light, but other than that, yeah. yeah, Savage Worlds. 
Actually, yeah, that would be a good one. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I can see that. It's good. All right. Well, Richard, thank you. It's a good question. Yep. And uh, send us in some more questions, please, like we said. All right, let's get to our scripture, and then let's get to our topic here, which is sort of a continuation of our previous topic on uh, mass combat. All right. I'd like to go ahead and start with Judges, if that's all right. All right. I'm going to call Second Timothy. And you okay with doing Jeremiah? I was going to call Jeremiah, so we're all set. We're all good. Well, that worked out. This is Judges chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, You Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he replied, No, they said, All right, say Shibboleth. If he said, Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. And Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 27 through 29. Lift up a banner in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations for battle against her. Summon against her these kingdoms, Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a commander against her. Send up horses like a swarm of locusts. Prepare the nations for battle against her, the kings of the Medes, their governors and all their officials, and all the countries they rule. The land trembles and writhes, for the Lord's purposes against Babylon stand, to lay waste the land of Babylon so that no one will live there. And this last passage we have is 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Our topic tonight is role-playing in mass combat. And this is a follow-up on our previous discussion on mass combat, which, by the way, did get posted despite me screwing up and posting just my track initially. So if for some reason you heard that went, well, this is a broken episode. Trust me, it's there. We fixed it. Just go back yeah. and listen to it. <laughs> it's fine. And I definitely didn't just pick the wrong MP3 file for a day. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> anyway, We've all been there. <laughs> I, I believe you specifically haven't. No. <laughs> not in well, this case. Not in, not in this exact specific case, but randomly grabbing the wrong file. Oh, no, that's never happened to me. No, no, I certainly <laughs> haven't done that at work or school or in some other context. Heavens, no. Is my sarcasm tank empty again? I need to refill it. Anyway. <laughs> so we're talking about large scale combat. And we kind of have two things that we've been talking about here. The first is making sure that large scale combats are interesting. And the second, which we're focusing on in this episode, is making sure that individual characters that the players are interested in, their own PCs, special NPCs, that sort of thing, aren't lost in the numbers and generalization of large scale combats. Uh, in short, we're talking about battle and war as a setting rather than as the story that's happening. Yeah, another way of thinking of this would be uh, role-playing within the environment of a large-scale combat. Yeah, this does not necessarily restrict yourself to a war story. This may be a war has broken out in your fantasy campaign or your cool space story, and now you're sort of involved in that as a result of actions the player characters have taken previously. Like, the player characters have created a war, but it's not a war game, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
couple of things we want to start with. First, let's talk about objectives. Actually, let's talk about one other thing first. Okay. This does not have to necessarily be something that's a military-on-military engagement. As we mentioned last time, large-scale violent rioting would count, gang warfare like Gangs of New York-style clashes in the street would count, and what I'm calling predation sieges, a, a situation like you see in Jurassic Park or Aliens where you're just trying to hold off a horde of monsters, those would also count. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I think both of those are horror stories, but I think there are cases where that horror and mass combat sort of slide into each other in certain certain ways. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's, I suppose, worth mentioning in this context that mass combat isn't restricted to any one particular genre, and that includes horror, so... Yeah, I think we're going to naturally be talking a lot about the war story as a genre, but remember this can come up in any game where it's not just, you know, a very tight story about three to five characters and very little else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) heck, the zombie mob would also qualify, but I would actually disagree. Uh, If you're if you're trying to hold an outpost against a horde of zombies, I think that would probably qualify. It's functionally similar to the predation siege with the kind raptors or the aliens. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in definition. No, let's not, let's not get into the minutia too much, especially since we're all tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, that, that actually does bring up, uh, the first thing I want to talk about, which is you need to give very careful consideration to the objectives that have brought people into this combat, into this sort of storytelling. What has brought these characters here now? And what are they trying to accomplish? Now, this could be, These are characters engaged in some sort of military or paramilitary operation, and that is the sole objective. But it might be these are people who have to enter an active war zone in order to get an artifact, rescue someone, unearth an alien spaceship, so on and so forth. Could be I'm trying to find clues about uh, my father's whereabouts, and for whatever reason, the only person who, uh, who knows about it is serving his third tour of duty in an active war zone. All right. Well, it can't wait for a letter. Let's figure out how to slip in and talk to him. That's very much how the beginning of Mass Effect 3 is. Oh, we need such and such a person. Oh, such and such a person is dead. Check the lineage. Oh, such and such a person is in active combat right now as we speak. Well, I guess we're going there. Yeah. So these are personal objectives. There are war objectives, and we're going to be talking about a lot of those because... Sometimes lots of examples are helpful, but bear in mind that I think in many cases it's more interesting if you've got people who are not really made for a dangerous wartime environment suddenly having to deal with battlefield situations. And I don't mean as like refugees, I mean as people who have actively said, well, we got to deal with it, let's dive in. Although if you do want to do the refugee thing, just a quick aside... Get yourself a copy of This War of Mine on Steam and play through a couple games of that. Yes, please. That will give you ideas. good. Very depressing, but so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a surprisingly well-constructed game for Mm -hmm. being as message-heavy as it is. Mm -hmm. But this is not This War of Mine podcast. We need to move on. (laughs) It always has been. I I don't know why you're thinking you're going to stop now. Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) Ever since it came out, it's been getting referenced, yes. (laughs) All right, uh... 
again, let's let's talk about war objectives here, because let's be honest, in many cases, player characters are elite special forces, tactical squads. The analogy between a fantasy D20 adventuring party and a SWAT team has been made before, and it is a pr- pretty valid comparison, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or like a ranger unit or something. Yeah, so there are some obvious choices for getting them into war. If you're doing that, what are they trying to do? First off, if you're trying to run this sort of thing, watch some war stories. Play some war games. Steal from those. War never changes. <laughs> Thank you, well, I, I wouldn't Ron call Perlman. One, I wouldn't call Fallout yeah. very, very yeah, war th- th- You know, it's funny. that Yeah, Fallout probably isn't the greatest source of inspiration yeah. for this. Now, oh, XCOM come on. 2 Fallout, or The first Band half of, of Fallout Tactics was fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's second actually half, a decent though. tactical game, but yeah. No, I was thinking of like the uh kind of the flagship games in the series, the ones mm-hmm. with numbers on them instead of words after Fallout, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although New Vegas was an amazing game. My goodness, this is video game digression week. Anyway, <laughs> um Band of Brothers is really good for this. Um XCOM 2 is really good for this. Just these will give you some ideas of the Wonder kind Woman. Of Wonder Woman is really good for this too. Yeah, oh, Wonder Woman is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh occasionally Deep Space 9 as well. Yeah. Actually occasionally any of the Star Trek series really. And some of Stargate. Yeah. Babylon yeah. 5. So, really Babylon 5 a lot. I don't know why I didn't yeah, put that yeah. in the notes. Babylon 5 a whole lot. <laughs> Basically all the good sci-fi you should watch. This yes. is what we're saying. Yeah. Anime fans will know there's plenty of anime you can reference for this sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Because those are dramas focused on groups of characters, that's pretty much exactly what we're trying to do in a role-playing game. We have a dramatically interlinked group of characters who are engaged in some sort of war activity and still continuing the dramatic relationships as they do that. Mm -hmm. It's fine. In general, think about what player characters might be able to do before the battle, during the battle, between battles, and after battles. Think about what will happen during those timeframes to further their stories. So one of the things that I'm going to mention um, before we get into our actual list of uh, example objectives here is most of these work from both sides for a heroic group, but some of them do not. When you say both sides. Either on the offense or the defense, basically. So let's just get into the examples. For instance, there's a heavier defensive weapon of some kind that is pounding the forces on the PC's side and needs to be silenced right away. Depending on the setting, this could be, you know, a ballista or catapult. It could be an orbital cannon, whatever. The other side of that would be it's your piece of heavy weaponry and it's the only thing that's keeping the enemy forces from getting through. So you need to protect it and make sure that the enemy commando teams don't succeed in taking it out. Right. So that's that's what I mean is from either side of the objective, whether you're trying to make something happen or keep it from happening. A lot of the time you can be on either side of this. There's there's going to be a few examples further down the list where only one side of the events is really going to be heroic. But yeah. Yeah. Another classic example. Somebody's trapped behind enemy lines. You got to go rescue them or you are trapped behind enemy, behind enemy lines. You need to get out, get mm-hmm. rescued. There's bad weather and you've got to scout ahead and figure out what coordinates to fire upon. The old, you know, we're running low on supplies. That may be food, it may be ammo, it may be whatever. Magic stuff. (laughs) Yeah, get supplies through some dangerous territory. Or be the dangerous territory that supplies are going through. (laughs) Yeah, and and notably, this works really well 
regardless of setting because transport X through some dangers is a really pretty generic objective. That one works very well if this is fantasy, modern day, urban horror, far future sci-fi, whatever it is. And works very well if whether or not this is like an active battle or a siege. So take advantage of that one as much as you, as much as you can. Uh, the next one is the battle is a siege and the enemy is not nice. Protect the civilian populace, food and water supplies from small groups that break into the sieged location to murder and poison. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty common. That's one that you wouldn't want to put heroic characters on the other no. side of. That's pretty despicable. No. Yeah, it is. Well, well, you say that, but also, you know, breaking a siege is a pretty good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be the guys in the Trojan horse. Yeah, but but doing it by committing atrocities against the civilian population well, no. is not yeah. very good. Yeah, but hey guys, but the idea hey guys, of, don't do war crimes. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Another example of kind of an escort quest. <laughs> this really perhaps should have been with the other one, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Transporting prisoners of war or trying to free prisoners of war who are being transported. That was one that I took straight from XCOM too. Actually, there's a lot of missions where you're you know there's some important enemy figure that you want intel from, so you have to send this squad running through enemy defenses to snag this person and bring him in for questioning. Mm-hmm. And that one is such a classic World War II French resistance kind of thing or yeah, yeah. or like mm-hmm. a mad science trope, you know. Yeah. You break into Dr. Nazi Doctor's castle <laughs> and uh, interrogate him about what technological or weird mystic horrors he's about to unleash on the allies. I mean, that's a very classic pulp trope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dishonored did it really well. Yeah. Some of these are classics for a reason. Yeah. I I still need to play Dishonored. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Uh, (laughs) It is. Somebody needs to get an important message to the rear, carry it back in a timely fashion, or stop the enemy from doing the same. Yep. This is the one um, where we spent some time talking about communication methods and technologies last week. This is where you want to figure that out, because how this looks could be wildly different, depending on whether you're talking about, like, an actual message satchel or trying to repair radio stuff or, you know, Mm -hmm. clear up telepathic interference or what have you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Evacuate wounded people before position is overrun. Take out some key figure in the enemy army. The wizard casting fireballs from the back, the king uh, leading the army, whatever it is, or keep (laughs) that guy guy alive. Yeah, the guy who's operating the orbital defense cannon. Yep. Sure. Exactly. Notably, these don't have to happen independently. There could be multiples of these. They may be interrelated. Uh, One may then create the opportunity or the need to do the other. Let things flow naturally. Mm -hmm. And let things flow logically. Naturally, if you, say, take out that orbital cannon, great. The orbital cannon's down. Now what? Are you going to be surrounded now that you have taken down the orbital cannon? Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to break out. So, yep. Notably, these are all things that happen during a battle. One thing that I kind of want to call out here specifically is that not every war story has to happen during a battle. It could be do this before the battle even occurs. It could be take vengeance after a battle or prevent the enemy from regrouping. Make things happen so that no battle ever occurs. That's classic PC stuff, by the way. Exactly. One uh, system I'd like to call out specifically, in fact, is Greg Stoltz's Reign. Okay. Which is personal, but also built on organizations. And there are rules for combat. You know, military strength is one of the th- traits that an organization tracks. Uh, you know, this could be 
<laughs> couple of thugs under a bridge to whole armies, depending on the size of your organization. And what's interesting is the way that system works. Organizations can do things kind of independently of the player characters, but they're none of them very good at it. The PCs have a lot of opportunities to really sway how things go by doing things. Yeah. If your player characters go on some adventure to to try and affect the outcome of what your organizations are doing against each other, they give massive bonuses. So it very heavily encourages character interaction. Even though Rain is a very cool setting, it's kind of difficult to extract the system from that. Greg Stoltze has a separate book called Inkeridon. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Uh, it's a Greek word that I just can never pronounce. Yeah. Because it shows up a lot in Adventure Time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's got a book called Inkeridion, and it's cheaper than Rain and is designed to be its own system for the sort of organizational combat. Uh, and organization tracking, because it's not all combat, it's, you know, just organizations as a game thing, but it sits on top of other systems, which is pretty cool. It's kind of like an add-on rule set for practically any system where you've got your generic adventuring characters in whatever setting. doesn't have to be fantasy at all. So it kind of plugs into this type of capacity in the same way that Microscope plugs into setting design? Uh, in some ways. It's hmm. pretty cool. It's a, yeah. a neat little thing, and I really love Rain. That is a game that I would love to run at some point. And I'm kind of glad that there is the option to separate it from the setting because the setting is cool, but it's one of those settings where you kind of have to do an info dump on everyone <laughs> to get them started, and that makes running it and playing in it difficult. Mm. Yeah, Amazing I found book three. Uh, L5R to be kind of um, intimidating in that same way. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not quite as bad as L5R, but it's such a weird setting that if you really get into it, there's a ton you have to learn. Like, what are the consequences of having a sun that doesn't move and just brightens and darkens to create day and night? Huh. <laughs> oh, literally, if you build a building, the shadow it casts will always stay there and nothing will grow. Oh, huh. Well, nobody has ever accused Greg Stoltze of being short on interesting ideas. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know, what happens if the world is literally shaped like two bodies lying down holding each other? And you just can just walk on the arms or underneath the arms because you just kind of stick to the underside. Doesn't really matter. It's cool. Huh. Yeah, it's all just this weird, fascinating world. And it's really cool. But again, it's a lot to dump on people. And then all of it yeah. is sort of thought out to the point where you go, oh, wait, what are the consequences of this? I need to think about that, too. Ah, wow. So it's really neat. And I really want to yeah. run it and play it. But tough. It's a tough system in yeah. some ways. Mechanically yeah. very easy, which is Tough nice. setting, it sounds more like. Tough setting. Mm -hmm. That's really the correct way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. So getting back to our original um, kind of train here. No, another must thing, derail. <laughs> <laughs> another thing that can be good in these types of situations is just a, what I called a battlefield chaos table in here, but I think just a battlefield chaos list is probably more appropriate. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a... A rundown of different things that can be encountered or happen that aren't necessarily just more fights, you know? Yeah. And this this is fairly example-heavy, too, but let's try and get through these ones fairly quickly. So uh, one of the big ones is, and 
most battles there's going to be some kind of support weaponry that can destroy the route that you're taking and force you to find a way around. You can run across wounded from either side that are huddled in some cover. React to that how you will. Uh, you can run across a group of civilians that's trying to find safety from the battle. Cache of supplies. A landmark or a point of interest with no mechanical effects at all, but perhaps uh, a guidepost or um, some way of rallying people. It may have like morale effects or something. Hey, we came across this weird statue somebody built in the middle of nowhere. What's that about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, let's split the party. Hey, don't ever split the party. But hey, let's split the party. You guys do your thing. You do your thing. We'll meet back up at X location at that weird yeah, statue that somebody made. Yeah, siege engine or some other stuff that you could probably find a partially fortified position abandoned in haste. And oasis of calm and a sea of roiling violence can be interesting. Mm -hmm. Unmapped shortcuts, obstacles or hazards. You can run across a fight between evenly matched forces and decide to intervene or not. Et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Other options... Maybe somebody you know uh, from before the war shows up, whether that's on your side, an enemy side, a third party, whatever, a friend, a rival, uh, NPC who's relevant. Somebody shows up in this crazy chaotic situation and you have a pre-existing relationship with them. Great. Story and drama. Go. <laughs> yep. Another option. The battle changes the landscape in some way. Heavy weapons yeah. can do a lot of that. Sure. <laughs> a lucky shot knocks down a chunk of the wall and now the siege might over or might not or hey somebody fired that orbital laser and now that mountain is gone the one that was blocking your way that's great i mean it's on fire but <laughs> hey yeah you have a shortcut <laughs> yeah yep. the closest that i think you would want to come to random damage happens is the classic bombs start falling artillery starts striking kind of thing and you find have to cover find cover mm -hmm. randomly taking damage or randomly just you know taking a shot and having your character die is obviously terrible and uninteresting so don't do that but turning a quiet walk through the woods into oh my goodness there are explosions everywhere we need to find cover an interesting sudden scary challenge as long as it is not and you unavoidably take damage. Yeah. It's interesting, just kind of an anecdote I remember. I think this guy was in World War II, and he was talking about um, artillery barrages, and he says, um, it's amazing how much you can tuck into your helmet. He <laughs> says, I think I got my entire body except for my feet under my helmet at one point. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not only people get scared by war, panicked wildlife or domestic animals or giant slumbering monsters what have you, may have to be dealt with. The classic escort quest, the target of an escort quest, a messenger, a uh, somebody running supplies, that sort of thing. They run by, friendly or enemy. What do you do? Yeah, some specialized mm -hmm. unit, friendly or enemy, runs by. Yep. If you want to get it really chaotic, you can have something that disrupts not just your side of the battle, but the whole thing entirely, like a natural disaster, like a flood or a wildfire or a volcano erupting or something like that. Tornadoes. Yeah. Tornadoes are great. Sure. Uh, the <laughs> classic third army shows up and the first two have to suddenly join voice forces and fight them or it suddenly turns into a three-way combat, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting uh, example of this that I particularly want to call out from one of the books that I'm using as reference for my setting design. In um, Ultramodern 5, one of the prepackaged settings in there is this very unusual alien invasion happens right in the middle of Baghdad, kind of at the height of the um, the post-official hostilities Iraq stuff. 
So like the old green zone, you've got insurgents and like U.S. troops and stuff that are still kind of fighting with each other. And then all of a sudden these aliens show up and start mopping the floor with everybody. <laughs> that changes things a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one of my uh, my favorite superhero settings, Necessary Evil, kind of has that same conceit where you are playing the supervillains because the superheroes got taken out in an alien invasion. And your response is, no, it's my world. I'm going to take it over. So now you're all supervillains trying to kick these aliens out of your planet. Yep. And having to work together as a result. So, you know, that that's a classic example of, okay, we all have to work together and deal with this now. <laughs> and, you know, it is done as an invasion story, but kind of plays off some of those uh, superhero, supervillain tropes as well. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting setting. Yeah. A random piece of um, general advice create a a cool or heroic unit that the PCs aren't part of at all, but they like and get along with and make it so that the PCs can set them up for success somehow. An example, the infamous Night Witches, an all-female group of Russian bomber pilots that were the absolute terror of the German forces on the Eastern Front during World War II. Another one that I can think of is um, in the most recent uh, season of Voltron. You don't have to play Voltron you can play the resistance that happens to get along really well with Voltron. The resistance movement surrounding Voltron is a really interesting mix of various kinds of, of support and infantry and all that kind of stuff all mixed together. It's I, I would love to play a Voltron game where the players are not Voltron. <laughs> well, I do like the idea of you're playing a group of people who never actually get credited for their successes publicly you're setting up someone else for success mm-hmm. i mean that's really the story of a lot of special forces units really oh, of course it oh, is yeah. but that conceit of nobody except our direct supervisors or you know higher ups in the military will really know the public will never know that these heroes are successful only because of us mm-hmm. yeah that's a fun conceit i think and lets you do some thankless uh oh we're so put upon kind of storytelling or even mm-hmm. just you know we're really cool because we managed to do this this thing and managed to totally hide it from the public's eyes and yeah people will never know (laughs) (laughs) we've saved you all and you don't even know (laughs) and the great thing is you're doing things that aren't necessarily battle you're just setting people up to win battles and that's got a lot of uh a lot of charm i think Mm -hmm. a lot of espionage uh, potential units bonus points if you can do the same thing for your enemy forces and give them some kind of scary elite guard of some kind and you can screw things up for them and make it so that they get set up for a nasty defeat of some kind. Mm-hmm. The example that comes to my mind is those um, crimson robed guys guarding the emperors in the Star Wars movies. If you could mm-hmm. somehow, you know, screw things up and have them take a nasty defeat at the hands of the rebels, that'd feel pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple other things you can do here. We talked about this a little bit before, but you can have a battle where the PCs aren't actually fighting for any particular side. You know, the battle is just a thing that's happening and you have to escape it or it's something where you have to use the battle as cover for something. Maybe you've created the battle as cover for something Mm -hmm. or the bad guy has, what have you. Grabbing intelligence, messing with some resources, dealing something, artifact, art, scientists, whatever. The old escort through a combat area safely. And battles can be complications. We were going to do this ritual at this particular point, and now there's a battle about to happen. We got to do something about it. 
Okay. Yeah. Wow. Or this sacred site needs to be preserved and kept safe, but there's these two armies that don't care about it that are closing in on it, and they've got beefs with each other and really don't care that we're caught in the middle. So now what? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're trying to talk to somebody who is in battle for some reason. Or find like a civilian refugee in the middle of a war zone, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All complicated scenarios where you don't have to get involved, but you kind of have to anyway. <laughs> that didn't come out right. Yeah. You you are not involved in combat, but the combat's but you're a real definitely, problem. Yeah, you're, the combat is involved in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of pitfalls that I want to call out specifically as we wrap this up. First, as we said before, random damage outside of the player character's control, GM fiat, is not fun. Yes, in real combat, a bullet can just get you. It happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a story, that's not interesting, especially if it's for one of the player characters. If an NPC just ups and dies, that's a useful reminder of the uh, danger and mortality of a battlefield. Having the character that your players have invested a lot of time in just up and die by GM Fiat breaks the dramatic contract that you've created at, at the table. Yeah, Don't if you do just that. roll on a table and be like, well, cannonball blows your head off, you're dead. It's like, no, no, that's not how this yeah. works. Unless this is a everybody, story. Not, unless yeah. everybody unanimously agrees right at the beginning, yes, I'm okay with rando damage just happening to me. And that does not happen often unanimously. No. Um, yeah. You're, you'd yeah. be telling a really super gritty story in that case, too, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And, and quick note, outsourcing your GM fiat to the dice is still GM fiat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just saying there's a 50% chance that my decision to roll on the table won't kill you still makes it your fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You decided to roll in the first place. Exactly. We talked some last time, but give thought to tone. Okay, war might be glorious and heroic. It might be grim and gritty and grinding. It might be a horror story about, you know, human nature and our uh, willingness to delve deep into the darkness in wartime. Some mix thereof. Whatever it is, make sure you know what tone you're trying to set at least session to session or story to story. There is, I think, room to add variation between different stories. I don't think there's just room. I think it's um, it's a good idea to add a certain amount of variation so yeah. your campaign doesn't get stale. Yeah, but, but if not so just- much that it muddies it because I think I think the tones that you can have in war are very muddyable. You can you yeah. can really you can mess it up if you're not careful. So just yeah. be careful. It's very true. And if you're just jerking back and forth between tones uh, without giving it any thought, you're going to have serious issues because your players won't really. F- understand what kind of story we're trying to have at the table yeah and it's interesting that even just like different stories told from the same interval of history in like different theaters or with different participants will wind up feeling differently mm-hmm. um if if you watch band of brothers that feels very very different uh much more uh heroic and hopeful because there were some very good just very good human beings as part of those units than something like Fury, for instance, which was a very depressing movie. In the same vein, be especially aware of the lines and veils at the table before you start. Call those out specifically if you're trying to do a war story. I mean, you should do this before you start the game anyway. But if you are getting into a war story or you're saying, we're going to sit down and do a war-based campaign, 
ask for those lines and veils. I would even say it's fine to have a secondary discussion about that at the beginning of an arc that's going to involve war. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going through a campaign that's traditional, like dungeon crawling or heist job stuff or, you know, the normal like player character group things and you're... Your setting has changed to the point where there is going to be a war and the player characters are going to be either involved in it or involved by it, as we were saying <laughs> before, in some capacity. I think it it's worth it to sit down and say, OK, so the setting has changed and there's a whole host of you know new events that are kind of on the table here. So now what do we think in terms of lines and veils? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like we said earlier, war crimes can get real nasty. Oh, yeah. And those are a part of just about every armed conflict in human history, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important to keep the objectives of both sides in mind, not just the PCs and not just the enemies. Make sure that that both sides do have a have an objective, because the vast majority of the time, each side will have some strategic objective in mind at any given moment. You do sometimes see wars of annihilation that is just purely motivated by hatred, but that's not really all that common. And most of the time when you're in that sort of a situation, to kind of call back to the beginning of the episode, it's going to be one of those horror situations. You know, you've got a bunch of ravenous predators that want to eat everybody or something. Well, or it may be something like the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, right? Where it's kind of a one-sided war in in a lot of ways. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, kind of this, this horror situation. Yeah, But there's still some objective slash justification, right? We are trying to do X, not just, yeah, I don't know, we like killing people. Yeah. I mean, you'll sometimes see that with like a, an insane fantasy necromancer and his army of skeletons. But once again, it's pretty rare. Yeah, but even <laughs> then, that's not satisfying. The insane necromancer who's trying to use that army to do X is much more interesting. Yeah, can certainly tell much more complicated stories that way, too. It doesn't too. even have to be complicated. It just has to be something the players can say, oh, I see what he's doing, and this is what we're going to do in response. It, yeah. it gives your players yeah. something On to On the other hand, of. like, the Dark Lord that's out for suffering and genocide for its own sake is a pretty well-trod fantasy trope. Yeah, <laughs> but never, like... Not a very interesting good? one, but it's well-trod. Yeah. So... Yeah, be better than that. <laughs> yeah. Please. Please. <laughs> Speaking of getting bogged down, don't get bogged down in minutia, especially in this case where war is a backdrop or a setting thing as opposed mm-hmm. to something you are representing mechanically. You don't yeah. need to know all the nitty gritty details of everything happening in every unit, how many supplies, mm-hmm. how many bullets. Leave that for like actual tactical games. If you want to play an actual tactical game, that's great. But here we're talking about role-playing. Exactly. Um, yeah. If it becomes important to know that somebody's only got 30 days worth of supplies, or and then they'll have to uh, surrender their besieged castle, that's a story element, not something where you're rolling dice to determine how long they have left each day or, or things like that. You know, th- yeah. That's just, this is going to happen, you have this period of time, deal with it as a problem. And for goodness sakes, don't try and model everything to the level where you know exactly how many bullets are left in random infantryman number 247's gun. Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's going to slow everyone down. (laughs) Also, please, please let the PCs influence the outcome of the game. Uh, That is the most important thing. Yeah, that's what they're there to do. (laughs) Please don't go Mass Effect 3 ending. Please. (laughs) Don't, Don't just do like... Do you pick the blue button, the red button, or the green button? Like that, eh, please, please let there be a creative ending that the PCs help with. 
make sure your PCs have agency. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good point to wrap this up. Once again, I want to remind everyone to send those Patreon questions in, especially if you haven't in a while. Otherwise, I'm looking forward to talking to everyone in two weeks. Oh, make sure you read Peter's blog posts as well. They're a lot of fun. Yes. Yes, you, you should know about Horvu, if nothing else. Exactly. Horvu's great. Yes. Happy Horvu. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we will catch you all in two weeks. And until then, take it easy. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.